Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This week we've got an exciting show for you. We are going to compare the Odroid XU4Q with the Raspberry Pi 3. There, we're done. Have a great night. No, we're going to plug them in. We're going to actually turn them on, do some tests. We're going to see how how well they mine Monero. We're going to see how fast the Ethernet adapters are built into each of these devices. We're going to do a couple of different tests and see how each one performs. I'm looking forward to this. Exciting. And Becca's here, so I'm really looking forward to this. Stick around. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here cat5.tv slash tpn and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters cat5.tv slash iaib Welcome to the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 543. Nice to have you here. Uh, I'd like to welcome back my wife Becca Ferguson. Uh, It's been a while since you've been here. Yeah, a few years, I think. Yeah, and (laughs) this is how we spend our Valentine's Day, folks. So romantic. This is going to be the most romantic show ever. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're having a great day. hope you're having a great week. Um, let's get right into it. We've got a lot to cover tonight. Um, we're going to be looking at the Raspberry Pi 3 versus the Odroid XU4Q. And we've got some comments that have come in over the past little while. Uh, first of all, uh, one came in from Chuckley5494. This is a long time coming. You want to read that one? Yeah, he says, wow, it's been like seven or eight years since I've seen you. I guess life just had me pre- preoccupied. The last shows I've seen was about six months or so after you got robbed. I got to see the new server built up and running. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been a long time, my man. Thank you so much uh, for writing in. Um, That was a long time ago. When when was the breakup? Since you got robbed? (laughs) Yeah, that was a long time ago. A lot of folks probably don't even know about that. But uh, our our studio, when we first started the show, uh, was in our house. And somebody broke into the basement. um, Probably just a random uh, robbery. But... Yeah, it, wow, it was not targeted. Yeah. It was not targeted whatsoever. It was just one of those things. It was that someone going from house to house checking patio doors. And then got and to ours. It wasn't unlocked. They actually shattered the whole patio door. Yeah. Just little glass pieces all over the carpet. Yeah, it was a mess. <laughs> but, I mean, imagine their surprise when they got in and there were cameras and laptop computers and yeah. all these things but that they could grab. But he was on foot, so just he, tucked what he could he, in the backpack under know? his arm. What do you know? We never caught the person, the individual. We are assuming here it could have been a woman. I don't know. It was a Whoever, guy, was about 18, probably addicted to some kind of drugs or alcohol. I think the cops at the Bad time... home life. The cops at the time thought it was one person. Yeah, they had and they, suspicions. They thought they were on foot, so... They never could prove it, and we lost all that stuff that was taken. 
and yeah. which the which the the community came together at that time. You'll remember this, Chuckley. Um, the community came together, contributed uh, to help us to get back on track, and we did not miss a beat. We didn't miss a show. Um, the next couple of shows were a little bit on the rough side as we kind of <laughs> re- regained momentum and got stuff, you know, bought new laptops and things like that. But um, so. All that to say, it's been a long time since you've been here. Thank you for uh, for tracking us down again. I hope that you enjoy um, how far things have come. Here we are in our studio space. Uh, we've got about almost a thousand square feet of studio space. We've got a green screen in front of us. We've got uh, another set over there that you saw last week. We've got this set here, and uh, a lot has changed since uh, since the times when it was in the house. So. <laughs> Sandrine Marquis um, sent in a question last week, and and I responded. It was about uh, net neutrality, and you saw the video. I think a lot of folks have seen that video. Um, It's up on linuxtechshow.com. It's up on our website, category5.tv and category5tv on uh, on YouTube. Uh, But Sandrine actually replied to my reply. You want to take that one as well? Sure. Thanks for answering my question. I saw it live, and I still disagree with net neutrality for two reasons. One, you and I can control our internet using QoS because we know what we're doing. But it won't prevent my father, as an example, complaining about his internet connection when he's using a VoIP phone. Okay, should we take one at a time? Sure. Okay, so that's that's number one, Sandrine. So, uh, interesting perspective for sure. So, here's a case where you're thinking more along the lines of not us tech-savvy folks who can, uh, who can make those decisions and set up our own quality of service or set up our own firewall. Um, so, would it be then... Should should it not be a net neutrality thing, but should ins- should it instead be a service that someone could opt into, so that someone like your dad um, is able to say to the service provider, "Yes, I would like the enhanced security package at no additional charge. I don't think there should be an additional charge for it." Would that be a better approach? I'm not, like, is I it don't really know. a net neutrality for, argument? For a, a lay user, I don't know if they would understand well enough no I, and i understand able, that perspective that sandrine's sharing yes but what if the isp were to offer a bundle that includes enhanced security it includes blocking of security th- threats mm-hmm. um, hackers and and exploits and things like that it includes anti-malware for your network maybe i mean they got to know that if they're running windows they need to have anti-malware right um and that's our responsibility too. I think as tech savvy folks, we need to we need to share these things with our non tech savvy uh, relatives and friends and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the QoS perspective. So if Dad is using services like Netflix, should he be able to opt into that regu- you know quality of service style system, as opposed to it being enforced on everybody and not? Well, what is the advantage off. of opting into it? For someone like Sandrine's father, who yeah. who may not be as tech-savvy as you or I and, and doesn't know how to set up those kinds of things in-house, mm-hmm. then he could say, "It's you know, I, I recognize that it's probably, you know, the QoS that the internet service provider is going to provide is not going to be optimized specifically to each user, but it's still going to be better than nothing if mm-hmm. they can say, okay, BitTorrent ports... We aren't going to bl- blanket block them or, or throttle them, but 
for this guy who's opted into this service, yeah, we'll throttle it for him. Mm -hmm. So that if he ever runs a BitTorrent service, he doesn't wonder why YouTube is stuttering. Those kinds of things, right? So if the ISP were to maybe provide that as a service out of the box, as a checkbox that you check off to opt into, or vice versa, maybe there's a checkbox that you opt out of. Because you or I, Sandrine, would say, oh, that's a service I do not want. Maybe that's a better approach. But then is it, you know, is it a, a... uh, a net neutrality question, or is it more of a ISPs providing great services to their end users? Mm-hmm. So. Number two. Number two. I'm already seeing the consequences of this so-called net neutrality debate. I lost my free subscription to U.TV Extras, which is a CBC French streaming service that came with my contract with Rogers, and my Mm. friend lost his free subscription to Spotify with Videotron, another ISP. As far as I can tell, we're losing diversity from our internet provider offerings. Again, I don't know so much, uh, Sandrine, if those are net neutrality issues. Uh, Now, first of all, Videotron, Rogers... Um, CBC are all Canadian, so I, I assume that these are Canadian services that you know that you're opting into, um, that you, that you're that you're meant to be receiving. But Canada is not under the same. We're not having the same issues as America when it comes to you know the the regulations and you know whether net neutrality is going forward or not. Are you saying that n- the net neutrality in Canada has adversely affected your ability to? get these services because i don't i don't under uh, an isp will provide free access to this or free access to that potentially and they may stop doing that at any time it's like a value-added service i don't know that it's really again a net neutrality issue because i don't think that they're saying well we're going to block u.tv which would be anti-net neutrality. So I, I'd be interested. I almost wonder, like Sandrine, I know that, that this viewer is, is tech savvy. Um, you've got a, a podcast as well. Maybe we should get her on the show and, and actually have this yeah, as a discussion. Yeah, it's hard because you've asked her a it's lot of one-sided. questions and she yeah. can't answer you right now. So it does make it very I'll weird. hear from her <laughs> Thursday afternoon and then, yeah. So maybe we should do that. So let's, uh, let's have a chat. Pop me yeah. an email. Uh, go to our website, category5.tv. Send me an email with contact us. I think that would be a great way to, to approach this particular uh, this particular item. Mm-hmm. And a uh, good opportunity for a viewer to appear on the show as well. Uh, we've got to take a really quick break. But when we come back, it's the Raspberry Pi 3 in a to-the-death battle with the Odroid XU4Q. Stick around. You've got mad skills, now hone them. Learn new skills or improve your existing ones with online video tutorials and training from lynda.com through our special link at cat5.tv lynda. Learn software, technology, creative and business skills you can use today to help you achieve your professional goals. Join today and start learning. We'll give you this chance to try it absolutely free with unlimited access to all of the courses. Sign up now for free, cat5.tv slash linda.
Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV, and we're finally going to do it. We're going to take the Odroid XU4Q and put it head-to-head with the Raspberry Pi 3 just to see how each of these performs in various different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, our, our video about, well, it was basically me just assembling the case, the Cloud Shell 2, and installing the uh, Odroid uh, XU4Q. Uh, one of the main criticisms of the video has been, well, you didn't even fire it up. Mm-hmm. How can you call it the Raspberry Pi 3 killer? Yeah. Uh, well, fact is, here tonight, we're going to fire it up. That video was just a demonstration of you know assembly and, and getting it up and going uh, as far as building it. But tonight, we're putting them side by side. Quite literally, there they are. Um, so we've got the XU4Q here from Odroid. That's the hard kernel device. Um, this is the Raspberry Pi 3 computer as well. So the Raspberry Pi 3, as you can see, is just ever so slightly bigger than the Odroid XU4Q, as a matter of fact. And um, that is the case even outside of the, outside of the cases. Um, the SBC itself, uh, the Odroid is smaller. This is an 8-core, and this is a 4-core. Um, a couple of notes here. I've got gigabit Ethernet going from both. No Wi-Fi in use here. Gigabit Ethernet going to the same uh, router, uh, and it's a gigabit router. Um, and I've got an iPerf server sitting on that same router as well with gigabit Ethernet in it. Each one of these has a game controller receiver. Uh, we've got a keyboard plugged into each and a mouse as well so that I can demonstrate things. That's how this is going to work. So now each one is booted up. There's the Odroid XU4Q running Ubuntu Mate. Very responsive, um, works great, and uh, I've set each up exactly the same. So here's Raspbian running on uh, the Raspberry Pi. And again, very responsive, very impressive for the small form factor and the and just the price and everything. Um, speaking of price, it's important to note that one of the other criticisms that we've received is that the Odroid XU4Q is significantly more expensive. Now, mm-hmm. what we have to take into account is that the previous demonstrations had included um, the Cloud Shell 2, the NAS case, the backplane, the three and a half inch screen, all of this stuff. So the cost difference between what you're seeing here tonight is actually only about $20 or so. So the Odroid XU4Q sells for $54 on the hard, corner, hard kernel website, the manufacturer's website. Um, so it is not significantly more than the Raspberry Pi 3, but we're going to see tonight whether it's really worth that $20 difference. Mm-hmm. Is there a significant enough difference to be able to call it a Raspberry Pi killer? Maybe not. Um, certainly, it's not going to kill the community. That's for sure. Uh, that's not the intent. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek when we say that, and it's a bit of a running joke here at the studio uh, because we said it once, and, and it's just like erupted into this yes. big <laughs> big thing. But uh, So let's, let's get straight to it. So over here at the Raspberry Pi 3, we're going to bring up the terminal, and over here at the uh, Odroid XU4Q, I'm going to do exactly the same thing. Now, you'll notice this is a full operating system. This is not like a stripped down. This is the, the like Ubuntu Mate, as you would expect. So over here, I'm going to go HTOP, and we see four cores uh, with, uh, it looks like 750 megabytes of RAM. And over here on the Odroid XU4, we've got eight cores and uh, 1.95 gigs of RAM. And both are pretty much doing nothing right now. They're sitting idle. Okay, so let's get out of HTOP. 
And first thing that I want to try is we're going to do a little bit of a side-by-side -side comparison here. Uh, I'd like to show you and, and know for myself how this is going to perform as basically a desktop computer. I do a lot of image manipulation, editing photos and things like that. So would a Raspberry Pi on the TV or as a uh, computer, like a very small form factor computer, does it run well with the GNU image manipulation program? It's a free piece of software, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to lear learn side by side how these are each going to perform. So first thing I'm going to do is we're going to bring up our file manager and on each machine, I have downloaded already the exact same image. So if I jump over here to the Odroid XU4Q, I'm going to see the exact same thing in my downloads. There they are. So a couple of differences in the operating system. Obviously, the Raspberry Pi Raspbian just gives me a thumbnail, kind of like Circa Windows 98, um, whereas this is more like a... It's a full operating system with, I can see the actual preview of the image. So what I want to do is I want to right click and I'm going to hover over opening it with the GIMP GNU image manipulation program. I'm going to do that on the Raspberry Pi as well. And then we're going to go side by side and just see how they compare as far as speed goes to load this up in the GNU image manipulation program. So as long as I don't bump the mouse and click in three, two, one. The battle of the SBCs begins. <laughs> Odroid XU4Q came up quicker and started loading. Pretty much identical. Yeah, I would say identical. Even though the screen seemed to come up quicker on the Odroid. They finished um, loading at they, the same time. Exactly, the image was in. One of the things that uh, I do need to address with the Odroid XU4Q is you'll see that I've got some strange, um, like the backgrounds here are all blue. Um, that's like the theme of, of the operating system. I've just got to fix that. On the Raspberry Pi out of the box, it looks nicer. Um, whether or not that's an issue, couldn't tell you. Don't think so. All right, let's go. We're going to right-click, and we're going to try something here. Uh, I want to do a scaling operation. So usually um, scaling is a pretty intensive thing to do. That's like increasing or de you know changing the size of an image. So <clears throat> on my XU4Q, I'm going to go Scale Image, and I'm going to set the height to 8,000 pixels, and we're going to use 72 DPI and cubic interpolation. It's important to note these things because we want it to be an exact side-by-side, head-to-head comparison. We want to set the settings mm -hmm. exactly the same on For the sure. Raspberry Pi 3. So over here on the Raspberry Pi 3, image, scale image, again, 8,000 pixels height, 72 DPI, cubic interpolation. And I'm going to click scale because it's prompting me, are you sure you want to create this image? I'm going to do the same thing over here, and we're going to be prepared then uh, to begin working. You'll see that each one says it's going to be 896.3 megabytes. So on the Raspberry Pi, I'm going to hover over scale. And on the Odroid XU4Q, I'm already hovering over scale. So if we're ready, you want to do the countdown or the drum roll? <laughs> Three, two, one, click. Okay, the Odroid XU4Q is moving. I can see that kind of down at the bottom there. You see that progress indicator? It's a little more mm -hmm. significant as far as speed goes to the Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pi's doing it, though. This is a great opportunity for us to have a sip of our coffee <laughs> and for you to just stare at that progress indicator. 
Yeah, we need some suspenseful music here, I think. Here we go. <laughs> real time folks keep in mind this is a heavy operation on any system so that this is even happening on single board computers just shows how far technology has come the odroid is ever so slightly ahead how's that going to seem in real time though let's see what happens boom odroid is done Raspberry Pi, still chugging along. Still chugging along. Come on, Raspberry Pi. <laughs> I can almost smell the heat coming off of that processor. <laughs> <laughs> and... Come on, you can do it. You can do it, right? Come on. Yeah, there we go. Raspberry Pi pulled it off. Way to go. That's the Raspberry Pi 3. Okay. So now next up, I want to, let's, let's try something really, really tough. This is a big image, and this is um, obviously going to be really, really heavy on any system. I'm going to go filters, and we're just going to add a 5% Gaussian blur. Nice and simple. Oh, what does it say? Failed to run plugin blur gauze failed to fork, cannot allocate memory. This is the Odroid XU4Q that we're looking at. So it looks like I've hit that memory threshold. Um, so can I just hit OK and just do other stuff? How's the responsiveness here? Um, if I'm clicking around, looks like I can still do other things. I have created a rather significant image though, haven't I? It is responsive. Can I do anything with it? Blur, Gaussian blur. Not gonna not gonna do it. So we literally do not have enough memory to be able to work on this image now that it is a ginormous image. We're talking twelve thousand by eight thousand uh, pixels. So that is an unreasonable size for for any case. Let's see if I can do anything at all with it. Blur? No, it's not gonna let me do it. So we have maxed out the Odroid XU4. It is still very responsive, though, as you can see. Can I scale down now? Maybe I can scale down. All right, let's jump back over to the Raspberry Pi 3. And we're going to try the same thing. Right-click. And Im uh, note filters. Blur. Gaussian blur. What? <laughs> The Pi is going to allow it, and the Odroid XU4 is not? How can that be? Let's get a look at our system tools, uh, system monitor, and see what this is telling me. CPU is really low. Uh, memory, we've, we're using 1.5 gigabytes, 77.4% of the RAM. What does the uh, Raspberry Pi say? Do we have the same tool? We do not. We may need to use uh, HTOP. Jump into the terminal. HTOP tells me that we have used, we've exhausted the RAM completely. Uh, perhaps there's some swapping going on here. Yeah, 18.5 megs has been swapped. Not sure if there's any swap going on with the uh, Odroid XU4Q. 
there is not. There's no swapping happening, um, and there is still some RAM there. So why is it not letting me go? Filters, blur, Gaussian blur. So that's a disappointing thing right there. And that could be software. That's not necessarily the board itself, but we do need to see in a real-world environment. Now, it was faster. It got me there faster. Mm -hmm. But surprisingly, um, it seems that GIMP doesn't want to proceed. It doesn't yeah. want to go any further. So that's one test where, okay, the Raspberry Pi has passed and the Odroid XU4Q, while it was very much faster in the rescale operation, it, uh, it failed when it came to um, adding the Gaussian blur to that massive image. So let's go back to the Raspberry Pi 3 here. We're going to get back out of that and we're going to go back to a reasonable image size. I'm going to control Z and control Z here. So keep in mind that um, now we're back at a, a standard image size of uh, looks like 3000 by 2000 pixels. So if I did it release the RAM? Let's find out. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it is going to allow me to now that the image is back at a, a more reasonable size. So let's undo everything, get back so that we're, again, comparing one-to-one. -one. Okay, there's that, and there's that. So, Odroid XU4Q. Let's add a Gaussian blur of... What say ye? 20%. Let's make it heavy. And the blur method is RLE. I'm using the wrong keyboard there, so I've probably zoomed in on the Raspberry Pi. Here we go. And I've closed out of <laughs> a couple things. No worries. All right. Right-click. Filters. Blur. Gaussian blur. I closed my tools there, just so you know. Um, that's why the Raspberry Pi now looks a little bit different. But side-by-side, side, they are doing exactly the same thing. Raspberry Pi, we're going to go hover over OK. And the Odroid XU4Q, we're going to do the same. And three, two, one. Watch those progress indicators. Again, the XU4Q just blasts past the Raspberry Pi, though the Raspberry Pi is doing very, very well. It seems at the very last second, though, the Raspberry Pi locks up and then waits for a moment, and then the, the thing happens, whether mm -hmm. it be blurring or rescaling. Yeah. So I think the, the Odroid XU4Q, I mean, the, the, the one test that it failed is this huge, massive image that nobody's going to ever work with a 12,000 by 8,000 picture on uh, an SBC anyways. You need a supercomputer for that. Yeah. But it did fail that where the Raspberry Pi kept going. So, uh, so do keep that in mind that uh, the Raspberry Pi did pretty well. And that is, again, probably an operating system or software um, difference between them. Jumping back over to the Odroid XU4Q, going to close down my GIMP. And the next side-by-side -side that I want to do here, Becca, is uh, we're going to start doing some things like testing the network interface controller, uh, the Ethernet adapter, see how fast each one is. I want to uh, also uh, stress test each SBC. We're going to be doing these things in just a couple moments. We've got to take a quick commercial break, and that's what we're going to be doing when we come back.
Jeff Weston. Yeah, man. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. All right. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV, and tonight we are comparing the SU, uh, the, pardon me, the Raspberry Pi 3 versus the XU4Q from Odroid. Now, these are two single-board computers, very, very tiny computers, so you can see compared to my hand how small these computers are, and yet they are quite powerful for the, for the form factor. They're great for creating um, little projects if you want to create robotics or learn coding. It's great for that kind of stuff. Now, one of the questions that we've received is, um, does the Odroid XU4Q have GPIO? And it absolutely does. Now, in this case, they are covered up, as well as the uh, Raspberry Pi case that I'm using, they're covered as well. Um, but this one has a remove. The case doesn't really matter, but this one has a remover, removable cover. This one, though, the XU4Q does have headers for GPIO, and there are some riser boards that are, uh, that are coming out. And it's a growing um, product as well. So you remember when the Raspberry Pi started up? The Raspberry Pi like brand and all of their SPCs and yeah, it it was really hard to get your hands on them. There were not a lot of peripherals. There was not a lot of support, and they were always sold out. That's kind of where we're at with Hard Kernel and the Odroid devices right now. Is where we were with Raspberry Pi. Even when the Pi Zero came out, it was impossible to get your whole your hands on one. When the Pi Three came out, it was really really tough. Now we're at that point where it's several years old, and everybody forgets that. And we we don't really remember that. Hey, that's how it started up with the Raspberry Pi three too. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, now they're in full supply, and you know you can get them pretty much anytime you want. The hard kernel devices, they're making them as they need to make them, and and they're they're sometimes out of stock on Amazon. I haven't seen them out of stock on their website, hardkernel.com, uh, but. Um, I guess it could happen, and then they just keep making more, and they do have plans to continue manufacturing the XU4 for the next several years anyways. So um, so it's a great board, and we're checking them out tonight. So we've got the Raspberry Pi 3 up on your screen, and we've got the Odroid XU4Q up on your screen as well. Now, we're going to do some stress testing. We're going to find out how these actually perform as far as kind of the 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 benchmarks, if you will. We're not getting into scientific benchmarks or, you know, fully accurate benchmarks as far as um, MIPS goes and things like that. But what we are doing is showing side by side with the same um, tests how these compare so we can see if one is faster than the other. So we're going to look at um, a stress test. We're going to also, uh, we're going to check out the Ethernet adapters and we're going to learn about uh, the speed, how many hashes per second uh, these things can mine as well of cryptocurrency. So jumping over here to the Raspberry Pi 3, let's get out of what we were working on here. And 
Oh, and I, I want to uh, I want to leave the terminal open. I'm going to get over here to the Odroid XU4Q, close out of the stuff that I've got open as well. You can see the uh, both systems are very responsive. The Odroid XU4Q to me has more of at least out of the box has more of a desktop computer feel to it. The responsiveness is is like a desktop computer as well, but the operating system feels very desktop computer-ish. Uh, Raspberry Pi, uh, Raspbian has done a fantastic job of making it feel that way as well, but it, it has a bit of a, a bit of a, I don't know, not quite a desktop feel to it. it it's not quite as powerful, and it has a little bit of latency to it. Uh, so over on the Raspberry Pi 3, first thing I want to test is uh, we're going we're gonna to run a... Uh, probably a 30-second test uh, using StressNG. So stress-ng, and we're going to tell it to use all CPU cores, and we're going to test two IOs. We're going to do virtual memory with one gig blocks, and we're going to go for 30 seconds. And then we'll get the metrics brief at the end. I'm going to run that. And we're going to jump over to the Odroid XU4Q. And we're going to run exactly the same command. So stress ng dash dash CPU 0 IO2. Okay, we're going to let that run on the Odroid XU4Q. Jumping back to the Raspberry Pi, how are things looking? Hasn't been 30 seconds yet. There we go. Okay, so first of all, we're looking at BOGO ops. How many BOGO ops is it? What's a BOGO op? Again, we're not getting scientific here. A BOGO op is a bogus operation. Oh, okay. Okay, so how many bogus operations can these boards process on their CPUs, on their IOs, and their virtual memory. That's what we're looking at. So it's not a scientific number. It's simply a comparative that we can take two boards side by side and say, you know, they operate with this many bogus operations per second. So looking at the Raspberry Pi 3, how many BOGO ops do we get per second? So looks like CPU is about 23.04 and the I.O. is 23,700. Jumping back over to the Odroid XU4. Let's see if we can bring that up a little bigger. Oh, and it figures it wrapped it to the next line. Uh, okay, so looking at the same thing, 29.07 for the CPU and 53.47 for the... That is I.O. Sync. Let's jump back to Raspberry Pi. 23. No, I got to run that again because it's not, I can't, <laughs> I can't do the side-by-side -side comparison. Let's run it again. Same thing. Now, because we've specified CPU 0, this is going to use 8 cores on this particular device. and simply give us some numbers to compare. Oh, that is the time. That's the time. Bogo ops. I'm looking at the completely wrong column. Look at the left-hand side there. <laughs> 1,906 for the CPU and 906,000 for the IO. All right. 
What do we got here? 5,234 for CPU versus the 1,906 on the Raspberry Pi. So we're about five times, well, four times faster CPU. And IO Sync is 129,000 on the Odroid. And again, now how, do, how does it think it's 906,000? Although this is a different IO Sync versus IO. They're not the same test. And we want everything to be exactly side-by-side comparable. But we can't compare that value because they're not a comparable value. That could be a version of StressNG that's giving us a little bit of a, an off-putting value. So we're going to look at just the CPU, where CPU on the Raspberry Pi is comparable at 1906 to the value of 5234 on the Odroid XU4Q. So, again, not scientific, but it gives us an idea that it's about four times faster just in this bogus operations. Um, the I.O. stuff, they're not a, compar- a comparative side-by-side, so we can't use that number, but CPU is about um, four times faster. Okay, jumping back to the Raspberry Pi, let's test the network interface. Now, I've got a, uh, a CL100 from Logic Supply connected to the same gigabit Ethernet switch as both of these devices. It's running uh, iPerf as a server. That means I can basically send um, packets to it and receive them back, and it will give me a benchmark of my uh, the network speed. Okay, So you have to have a receiving server on the other end, and it has to be connected to a gigabit switch. So on the Raspberry Pi 3, let's type iPerf dash C, and the IP address of that iPerf server, which is 192.168.0.101, we're going to run 10 simultaneous connections, and we're going to run it for 30 seconds. There we go. Now, over here on the other device, this is the Odroid XU4Q. Let's run that exact same command, iPerf dash C, 192.168.0.101 dash P10 dash T. 30. And notice I'm not going to hit enter until the Raspberry Pi is finished because that would be an unfair benchmark because, of course, this one is already using the bandwidth. So we've got to do this one at a time. Raspberry Pi should be wrapping up. There we go. I'm going to hit enter on the other device here and let that run while we look at these specifications. So uh, at th- so basically what we're seeing there is the bandwidth megabits per second on all 10 connections and then the summary at the end, which is a, a, an average over 30 seconds. So we're getting 94.2 megabits per second. Now with the 100 megabit ethernet adapter in a Raspberry Pi 3, that's pretty significant. That's 92% of its overall promised um, speed is being achieved. So that's pretty good. Jumping over to the Odroid XU4Q, the average is 926 megabits per second. So again, we're getting about 92% of the promised speed, uh, but in this case, we have gigabit Ethernet. So the speed of the Ethernet connection is about 10 times faster uh, on the Odroid XU4Q than on the Raspberry Pi 3. So if you're using this for a server, if you're using this to um, like run a NAS box or something like that, this is definitely going to be the, the, the pie killer for sure um, as far as that goes. Another reason you would want that faster network connection, Plex servers. Mm-hmm. If you want to do multimedia streaming, that kind of thing, 
that's much, much faster. The final test that we're going to do here, Becca, because I know this is running into the, the geekery beyond measure, but we are measuring it. Don't worry. <laughs> the geekery is high with this one. Uh, okay. So on each of these systems, I've installed um, Cat5 TV miners. You can find that on our GitHub, Cat, uh, Cat5 TV on uh, GitHub. There's an application called uh, Cat5TV-Miners, and uh, we're going to mine Monero with each of these boards. So let's see how many hashes per second each of these can do. So on each system, I've got it already installed. This is the Raspberry Pi 3. I'm going to let that connect and get a couple of jobs from the pool. And over here on the Odroid XU4, we're going to do the same thing. Monero. And we're going to let that connect and grab from the pool. Now, it looks like they're both connecting to Hash Vault. Yeah. So we've got the same pool. We've got uh, the same application, the same version. Everything is exactly the same between them, just different hardware. So this is the Raspberry Pi 3. We've got two jobs, looks like, um, just waiting for any hashes per second um, to be reported. Same with the Odroid XU4Q just waiting for any kind of report as far as how many hashes per second we're getting. This could take a couple of moments. We'll take this opportunity just to mention a little bit about Cat5 TV-Miners. Um, that's a cool way that you can support Category 5 TV network uh, because you can install this on your computer, your SBC, on whatever, and when you're not using those devices, it will mine Monero and deposit it to Category 5 TV. Uh, so it's a really interesting way for you to be able to support the shows uh, here at Category 5 while not actually spending anything other than just using your hardware and, and uh, possibly electricity. You know, might bump up the electricity bill a little bit if, you're, if you've got a supercomputer. That would take a really powerful. With the SBC, it's not going to be an issue. You're not going to be running up a lot. So that's the Raspberry Pi. We're getting 8.2 hashes per second. 8.2 hashes per second. It's not high, but it's something. Over on the uh, Odroid XU4Q, we're getting 25.7 hashes per second. Again, a significant jump in performance when it comes to the Odroid XU4Q. So if you were looking at using an SBC for mining, this is CPU mining granted, so we're not using GPU mining here because the Raspberry Pi 3 just wouldn't be able to handle that. So with CPU mining, we're getting about 8 on the Raspberry Pi 3 and about 23, did I say, on the uh, XU4. 25, almost 26. And there's the Raspberry Pi 3. It's gone down to 7. 7.7. The Odroid is holding its own at 24.7. So definitely getting better hash rates on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, that's your Odroid comparison, uh, the XU4Q to the Raspberry Pi 3. Uh, if you have any other questions for us, please do send those in. Uh, you can go to our website, Category 5 TV, and click on Contact Us. Or, of course, if you're watching this online, uh, you can comment below as well. All right. So we've got to head over to the newsroom. Uh, are you Are you ready to do this? Yeah. First time. This. Uh, this is. It's <laughs> nice having you here. Um, I haven't given you a lot of time to speak tonight, so this is your opportunity now to to do the talking, mm -hmm. and I'll operate the teleprompter <laughs> for you. <laughs> here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category Five TV newsroom. Is Amazon planning to track its employees? A patent has been granted for an ultrasonic wristband that can monitor a worker's every move. 
Data on soldiers' running patterns captured by fitness app Strava has been discovered to detail the secret whereabouts of military bases. Best Buy has informed music companies that it will stop selling CDs this July. YouTube is developing new policies to protect itself from the fallout caused by creators that are posting inappropriate content. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Becca Ferguson, filling in for Sasha Rickman this week. And here are the top stories we're following this week. Amazon, it seems, wants to keep a close eye on its employees. The firm's latest patent suggests it's working on an ultrasonic wristband that can monitor a worker's every move. According to the patent, data about the position of the worker's hands is sent to the company in real time. Amazon describes the technology as a time-saving device, but some have criticized the system for going, on a, for going a step too far in monitoring performance. Thai Ung at The Verge writes, while the patent describes this tech as a time-saving system, Tracking workers in this way seems dystopian. The Amazon patent was published by the United States Patent Office. It describes ultrasonic tracking of a worker's hands that would be used to monitor performance of assigned tasks. Diagrams show how workers will wear bracelets on either hand which contain ultrasonic units. The ultrasonic unit is configured to be worn by a user in proximity to the user's hand and to periodically emit ultrasonic sound pulses, states the patent. These silent pulses would then be picked up by ultrasonic transducers placed around the warehouse. The patent also outlines a feedback system, which means the device will vibrate to point the wearer's hand in the right direction. The patent further states, the management module monitors the performance of an assigned task. Amazon sees the bracelets being used by workers not only in its warehouse, but also outdoors and on cargo ships. The patent includes this tongue-twisting statement. Existing approaches for keeping track of where inventory items are stored may require the inventory system worker to perform time-consuming acts beyond placing the inventory item into an inventory bin and retrieving the inventory item from the inventory bin, such as pushing a button associated with the inventory bin or scanning a barcode associated with the inventory bin. Accordingly, approved approaches for keeping track of where an inventory item is stored are of interest. The company insists that this is a labor-saving measure intended to verify that correct items are being processed and to avoid the need for computationally intensive and expensive monitoring. It is not clear, however, if the designs will ever actually materialize. Amazon has declined to comment on the patent. <laughs> Way to go, first of all. <laughs> what a tongue twister indeed. Yes, and long-winded. Mm -hmm. Kind of a run-on sentence. <laughs> 
it kind of, you know, I think about the fear of being chipped and how companies in uh, San Francisco have, you know, pursued um, chipping employees and, and other places in the world as well and how that's a big concern to mm-hmm. employees and human rights and things like that um, and conspiracy theorists as well. Yes, yes. So I was thinking of, there was an episode of Undercover Boss we watched together once and he went to the shipping warehouse of his company. I can't remember what his company was, but he was undercover as a new employee and he was being trained how to build boxes right. and package items. So he had to make the right size box, put the item in, get the address label. And it was on. immense. Yeah, and he, there was a certain quota. You had to have a certain amount of boxes packed right. within every 30 minutes. And he's scrambling, trying to get these boxes made, trying to fill them, trying to get the address on. He was getting more and more stressed. And the person yeah. who was training him, she was getting stressed because she's just like, you're not going fast enough. <laughs> You're going to get fired. Wow. So I was thinking if you had bracelets on tracking how fast you were going, you would just be you would just be so stressed out the whole time because you knew you knew they were seeing exactly how fast you were mm-hmm. packing the boxes and I don't know, it just seems like it would be a very stressful working environment because you can never just pause a moment and take a right. breath. <laughs> it, there's two sides to it. I I didn't really think of it that way, but it, it, so obviously if Big Brother Amazon, my boss, is watching my hand movements using these ultrasonic devices, then it's like they're spying on what I'm doing. And, but the big run-on sentence that you had about the inventory bins made sense in that, well, I deal with a little bit of inventory and sometimes things get misplaced and you don't really mm-hmm. know where they've gone and then finally you find them and, well, you've missed the sale. So the the one perspective that I gleaned from that is that because of this, they'll know where that product got placed. Yeah. Always. And yeah. in a, a warehouse like Amazon, I can't imagine how massive the inventory is. Yeah, I kind of, if you've ever seen the Canadian show Warehouse 13, where the warehouse looks like it's miles right, long yeah. that's, that's what Amazon so is to Becca. <laughs> if, you, if you couldn't find the item, if you could just be sort of like, okay, lead the way. Ah, yes. <laughs> that end of things might be... It might actually be, if not cartoonish, but helpful. That would explain (laughs) how they see it as a productivity thing. Yeah, for sure. You're not going to be wasting time looking in all the wrong aisles for Mm -hmm. a box Hmm. to take you straight to it. So that side of things could for sure be more efficient, I Hmm. think. What do you think? Comment (laughs) below. Let us know. The hidden locations of secret U.S. military bases, patrols, and forward operating bases have been accidentally revealed by the fitness app Strava. Nathan Rooser, founding member of the Institute for United Conflict Analysts, initially revealed the information on Twitter, noting that data from Strava's heat map makes the U.S. bases clearly identifiable and mappable. In subsequent tweets, Ruser was able to identify a Russian operating area in uh, Mimim and guard patrol, a Turkish patrol, Afghanistan FOBs, and a soldier running routes. Wow. The revelation shows some of the dangers inherent with the growth of the Internet of Things and unrestrained shadow IT. Strava users are automatically opted in to sharing their data anonymously on the heat map and must manually opt out if they wish to not share that data. The version of Strava's heat map that was used in Ruser's analysis was released in November. According to a Strava blog post, it takes into account data from 1 billion activities and 3 tri- trillion latitude-longitude points, 10 TB of data in total. 
Strava's privacy policy knows that the data is anonymized, but that doesn't actually make it unusable for hackers, cyber attackers, or in this case, possible military threats. This information should serve as a wake-up call to security and IT professionals alike that even seemingly harmless apps such as a fitness tracker can prove dangerous to your organization. Enterprises need an IoT policy and it must account for all devices used in connection with the company, not just the ones handling sensitive data. Wow, that's scary. Oh, boy. We need to take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the Internet of Things, for those who don't know. What exactly is it? Okay. How does it work? Well, Internet of Things is a term, uh, and, and IoT is the short form for it, um, that basically represents all of the internet-connected devices that are not computers. Mm -hmm. They're not tablets. They're not for surfing the web. They do other things using an internet connection. So in this case, it's, um, it's the example is Strava's um, uh, wearables yep. for fitness tracking. Mm -hmm. uh, Strava being the software that could be on Fitbits and everything else. But, um, but so Internet of Things is anything that is connected in in a way to the internet mm -hmm. or even in this case not directly necessarily the internet it, it gathers the data through gps satellite systems and then shares it on the internet anonymously with the uh, with the provider yeah so in any giving given room that you're in there might be half a dozen devices that could be tapped into sure oh yeah um not not just the obvious things that you would think yeah. of so like you our, think you're alone and private, but <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, and then we, so a good example, a very easy example of an Internet of Things device would be like Alexa or Google Home or one of these types of smart devices. Um, your phone is an Internet of Things device, which may be a little bit, you know, it's more like a computer. But so think about that little Alexa device and it's... Uh, that's always connected to the internet or sharing information with the internet servers and so but in this case it's really freaky in a way because it tracks your movements and and so because of that the data is anonymous but what has been found here is that because it's tracking movements and mapping those movements somebody who runs the perimeter of an army base that's supposed to be secret is mm -hmm. drawing on a map mm -hmm. This outline. <laughs> if they're walking yeah. inside the Pentagon into secret rooms and, you know, this kind of stuff, they're mapping, creating a yeah, floor so plan. Anyone looking is thinking what's there in the right. middle. Exactly. And who's looking. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's, let's take a quick look, if we may. Uh, I've brought up the Strava heat map. And can you believe that all those bright points are where people are using their devices? So should we, should we go so far as to head to somewhere like Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. Which is, which is dark. But you do see some points where, okay, this is a little bit on the scary side that there are points on the heat map in Afghanistan that are lit up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is innocently, you know, we've, we've worn our tracker and are doing the jog around, you know, wherever... But what, what can be seen from above? Now, I wonder, now, this, they may have cleaned it up. They may have removed some of this stuff because this was a lot brighter before, <laughs> which is a good thing. Like maybe somebody has clued into this news story and said, okay, we need to clean this up. But observe what 
can be could have been seen. So it looks like they have removed a lot of it, and that's great uh, from a security standpoint. But like, what is this stuff? So here we've got a, a building of some sort, and just to demonstrate what what we're talking about, somebody has been running around in a circle here. And, you know, you can see the floor plan of the building itself, and you can, you can basically make out what, what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's all because of the, the heat map. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned there, it looks like they've, they've clued into this news story and taken it seriously and, and removed some of the stuff that should have been hidden in the first place, mm-hmm. which is good. What exactly is shadow IT? Shadow IT, so in this case, um, the term is being used because your wristband, this Strava device, is something that is not necessarily approved by the organization. So um, it's an Internet Connect device that my boss has not approved me to use on the network. Mm -hmm. Um, So shadow IT is like IT infrastructure that exists within a corporation or a company or an organization that is not endorsed by and approved by the policies in place by that organization. So, for example, in a military base, you would have a very specific type of phone. It would be approved and it would have a very specific set of applications installed on it by the organization. Mm -hmm. And you're not allowed to bring your own personal phone. It's going to be that one. Mm -hmm. So, Shadow IT, on the other hand, is stuff that is not, has not gone through that approval process. And it's that wristband that's monitoring your tra- tracking your, right, your yeah, movements so. um, and sometimes shadow IT is a very good thing um, think about um, Google mm-hmm. a lot of innovations come out of Google because they specifically set aside time and say to their employees okay you've got time to work on your own side projects mm-hmm. those projects in and of themselves are technically shadow IT they're creating infrastructures and creating projects that are not really approved by the blanket organization, the company that, that runs it, mm-hmm. uh, and it's happening internally, but is not approved by, other than just the blanket, go ahead yeah. and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, innovation says, okay, now somebody's created something awesome, now it becomes part of the in, the actual IT infrastructure of the company. Mm-hmm. So it's not always a bad thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and in the case of Strava, were users not aware that they need to opt out if they don't want their data shared? Is well, this, um, are they are just assuming that the anonymity is the same thing? That's it. We think, oh, it's anonymous, so it's safe. Yeah. You don't exactly. necessarily clue into the fact that anonymous is not necessarily safe. Mm-hmm. You may be tracking my data anonymously, but it is still drawing an <laughs> outline of a military yes. base. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's more of a, just a case of hey, it's in semantics mm-hmm. where we've just made a mistake and maybe it, maybe it needs to be... Uh, I, I don't know how you resolve something like that. Well, maybe just more awareness, raising awareness. Awareness within the staff, maybe? Yeah, within the staff. You're always going to have somebody that just doesn't follow policy. Yeah. And they're still going to have well, that yes, device. Because <laughs> they're thinking, I'm not losing steps, mm-hmm. right? Maybe there should be an anonymous. An but anonymizer. if they knew that they could opt out... But if you opt out, do you lose your steps? you lose because it's competitive so if i'm if i'm jogging i'm getting but steps if you lost and your steps what would be the point of the fitness app the fitness app is meant to promote um friendly c- competition yeah. between other users so so the, you wouldn't there'd be no point to opt out because that would you'd lose your, the purpose you'd lose that competitive yeah. nature of the app itself mm-hmm. so i think there's that too yeah 
<laughs> Sasha's always bragging about her steps. Yeah. And I look at my phone and I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how it is around here, you know? <laughs> the end of the CD format might be in sight as two major retailers are set to push for change in their relationship with the industry through the end of this year. According to Consequence of Sound, 89 million CDs were purchased in all of 2017, paling greatly in comparison to the 800 million sold in 2001. The drop in popularity for the format has already caused a shift in how each store carries inventory, with Target, for example, only handling a limited selection now, uh, compared to nearly 800 titles at its height, according to Billboard. Best Buy, on the other hand, is going to get rid of CDs altogether by July. Sources are, are suggesting that the company's CD business is nowadays only generating about $40 million annually. While it says it's planning to pull out CDs, Best Buy will continue to carry vinyl for the next two years. However, keeping a commitment it made to vendors, <clears throat> sorry, the vinyl will be merchandised with the turntables from now on. Target is taking a different route. Instead of getting rid of music, they are pushing to change the payment structure for both CDs and DVDs from the movie distributors. The store has sold music told music companies that they would like to switch to a consignment arrangement. With consignment, the inventory risk will shift back to the labels themselves. Any pushback on these new deals and sales terms could hasten the demise of CDs. They also note that music companies are keeping a watchful eye on what happens with DVD sales as well before making any final decisions. The death of the CD. I'm old <laughs> well, we school. we knew it was coming. Yeah, but you know me. I buy CDs, physical CDs. Yeah, and that, we and then, buy CDs. And then we rip them. Yeah. We only we listen to the them CD, in MP3. Buy the CD, put it on the shelf, <laughs> and then put it on MP3. I'm old school that way. Yeah. You can't really <laughs> rip a, a, an LP. Yeah. I mean, you can, but what's the point? Mm -hmm. It'd be a lot of work. So. I, I suppose it would be more of a collector's thing. Like if yeah, the people who are used to just d downloading music through iTunes and whatnot. Sure. Amazon sells MP3s. Yeah. So. A lot of people, I think, like not having the clutter because... Yeah, yeah, there is we've that. We've gotten rid of a lot of CDs over the years just because they take up so much space. But mm -hmm. if you were someone who liked having a collection, like being able to show off a collection... People maybe. would walk into <laughs> that room with the collection and be like, um... These are CDs. <laughs> it's not cool, Robbie. Yeah. It's not cool. Do you think consignment sales for CDs are fair, though? Because that seems to me like only the wealthiest record labels would be able to afford to distribute CDs that way. True. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I think back to when we had a band <laughs> and we garaged boxes of CDs yeah. and we were on consignment. Yeah, because you put the money out there to get yeah. them printed and packaged and all that so you would need a lot of money invested just to send it out to all the stores and sure. then there's the risk that they won't sell as an independent it would have made it impossible if everyone was consignment mm -hmm. um as an industry but i'm though, sure record labels aren't oh all. sure like some record labels are bigger than others so would the smaller ones have difficulty competing <sighs> i think if they if they have to do consignment beyond competition i think it's just going to put a lot of labels out of business yeah, Plain and simple, mm -hmm. because if you're not making the sales online, but many, maybe many of them are, maybe maybe they're just going to pull out of the store and say, you know what, we're not going to yeah. do consignment, we're doing well with MP3s, or not MP3s, AAC, or in, iTunes. Yeah, the way that movie rentals have gone, it's, it's yep. now all online it's instead online. of going into a brick-and-mortar store, so it could be akin to that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then maybe for those of us who ha- like the nostalgia of a physical CD, they're just going to have to do it online anyways. Mm-hmm. But it's the inevitable evolution of retail. Yeah, I'm sure you'd still be able to order the CD online and have yeah. it show up in a box on your doorstep. The fact is, though, we don't have a CD player in the house. Yeah. So Just, just one in the car, that's it. Yeah, uh, and that's just because it's built in. Um, yes. But anytime we've needed to play a CD, it's either rip it or we borrow my our daughter's boombox right yes so and that's it so <laughs> and that's re- usually when we first get a cd and we want to listen to it before we've had a chance to rip it. yeah exactly <laughs> before we've had that yeah. time to rip it exactly what is the last cd you purchased and do you think vinyl is a suitable format physical format to write into the future as an alternative to digital music let us know in mm. the comments below interesting yeah vinyl's back <laughs> yeah it's weird it- they take up a little, even more space in their people heavy. Are, people are that's mis- really nostalgic, re- retro. traditionalists, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, we grew up with vinyl, um, yeah. but I think the the trend is that these are young people who did not grow up with vinyl. Yeah, it's new to it's them. Cool. Yeah. It's. Mm-hmm. It, it, are you using a vinyl player, and is it new to you? Like, is this a new technology, mm-hmm. if you will, or a retro technology? It'd be like well, me. Well, our children have never used a no, record player before. So imagine if, if Tally, our oldest daughter, our daughter, um, were to ask for a record player. Like, that's <laughs> crazy. It'd yeah. be like me asking for one of those big, you know, crank players with the big... <laughs> I don't know what they're called. But, but if you were an <laughs> antique collector, you'd that certainly cool. want to get your hands on one of those. Surely. The gramophone. Surely. The gramophone. That's <laughs> yeah. the one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. YouTube says it's developing new policies to deal with video makers who damage the reputation of the website. Chief Executive Susan Wojcicki. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one. <laughs> I love it. Wojcicki. Wojcicki. We'll call her that. Wojcicki. Yep. Yeah. Said egregious <laughs> behavior by video bloggers caused significant harm to the entire community of video makers. The site has been under close scrutiny after video blogger Logan Paul made a video which showed a dead body in a so called suicide forest. But many video makers are frustrated with YouTube's policies. In a bid to stop advertisements appearing next to controversial content, YouTube has been using algorithms to identify contact that it judges or content that it judges not to be advertiser friendly yet many of the platform's biggest stars have complained that their videos have nevertheless been incorrectly marked as unsuitable for advertising youtube creators have coined the words demonetization and adpocalypse to describe this problem the platform has also been criticized for what video makers perceive as a lack of transparency about its policies in a blog post, Mrs. Wajiciki said, <laughs> said that she wanted to strengthen the trust that our community places in YouTube through open and frequent communication. Addressing the so-called adpocalypse, she said the company was working on a more accurate solution that would involve an increase in human moderators to review videos. We're also currently developing policies that would lead to consequences if a creator does something egregious that causes significant harm to our community as a whole, she added. When Logan Paul uploaded the video he recorded in the suicide forest, YouTube retaliated by removing him from the Google Preferred program, which sells premium advertising for the website's top 5% of video makers. Mm, Yeah, This is a big problem for YouTube creators because even us, like, we're pretty benign here. 
we don't get into political debates. We don't get into that kind of stuff. At least we we try very hard to avoid it. Yeah. Um, to be very neutral. But um, we last week alone. So last week's episode, we we were talking about open banking with our interviewee. Uh, we were talking about various topics like uh, uh, I had talked about um, net neutrality. And sure, some of them are you know maybe it's on the fence, but several of our videos got flagged as non-monetizable mm. is what I'm getting at. So yeah. even as benign as our statements here on the show are, we're dealing with it. And mm-hmm. we're having to... I had three videos last week where I had to request a manual review by YouTube staff. And it's work for me and it's extra work for the creator. And, mm-hmm. and you've got to catch it. Because if, if I ever missed that they have flagged one of my videos... And each video costs me money to make. Mm -hmm. So if I ever missed it and then they pull all the monetization from that video, I could lose a lot of money that is Mm -hmm. meant to reimburse the cost of creation Mm -hmm. and pay the rent and help with the bills. So it's a bad situation. So, yeah, they absolutely need to improve things for sure. Now, does YouTube have contracts, though? Did Logan Paul know that it was Mm. not appropriate to post a video with a dead body? I think that as a human being, it should be ingrained into <laughs> our our souls, our spirits, that that is not appropriate. Yeah. In any case. Now there is a lot. I'm. There are things like that on YouTube, but is it just that those videos have been demonetized, so they're allowed Possibly. to put graphic content because they're not making money, I don't or is know, it more yeah. that maybe they don't get caught because they're not yeah. making money, or because I, they're not big enough to be noticed? That's true, too. Yeah. And so there has been a change there, too, because if they're not big enough, they simply demonetized the channel. So Mango Fox 70 has been demonetized. Mm-hmm. Um, New Every Day has been demonetized because we just don't have enough subscribers on those channels. And yeah. so now we're losing money because YouTube has put this into place. Thank you, Mr. Logan Paul, for <laughs> making them have to make this change. No, but with Logan Paul, um, like... It, w- it was said that these are in violation of YouTube policy. Sure. So we accept it. So that con- means YouTube does have a policy of no dead bodies in this case. I'm assuming. Because I don't they know that it's it that specific. Poli- so if, yeah, so if they're saying it's in violation of policy, where is the policy that said no dead bodies allowed? Well, and did Logan Paul, should they have YouTubers sign a contract or in some way acknowledge sure. that they have read yeah, the policies do. and mm-hmm. know exactly what they are. Uh, I'm not sure specifically what policies they're referring to, but I know that there are two policies that I can think of immediately that would apply to him. Mm-hmm. First of all, when you sign up for a YouTube, like a, an account to create, to become a creator, you have accepted their terms of, of use. Mm-hmm. So you're more than 13 years old, you accept this, this, and this, and it's a big long document. Yep. Um, then... If you are going to become a YouTube partner, that is a monetizable partner with, they call them partners. Um, so we're a partner with YouTube and so we're able to monetize the video. So when you see the ads at the bottom of our YouTube channel, that helps to pay for our bills. Mm-hmm. That's through our YouTube partnership. So we have accepted yet another contract with them mm-hmm. with regards to our partnership. And that one is very specific that you will not create content that is of a controversial nature yeah. that is, uh, you know, and to, to really um, summar- summarize or 
uh, it, it can't be anything that an advertiser is going to find offensive mm-hmm. or because it's so he, they're paying he to advertise. He knew better. Or he should he have, should known, have better. known better had he read and the contract that he clicked yes on. So it, to me, it seems that it was uh, YouTube had every right to absolutely him from the absolutely. Google but now it's hurting a lot of little guys. So he's a big guy. But how like, directly does it hurt the little guys? What's the I can only use myself as an example. I, it, like how can we blame Logan Paul? Well, it's easy to blame him because that's what made... Because the little guys aren't posting dead bodies. No. <laughs> Just to use that example. But he, what he did made YouTube, YouTube realize we need to make changes now. And so now, part of that, as you said, so just, are they too little to get noticed? So now they've just cut off all the little guys. So all of the small to channels labor, perhaps, to save them having to monitor, monitor little guy the monetization. Because if, yeah. if they're wanting to use more human moderators, they don't want to be wasting that yeah. on little channels. Where previously you could post a video like uh, that takes you time and, and possibly money to create and you might have a couple thousand views and you might get 20 bucks back yeah. and that helps to encourage you to grow and to become better and to do more uh, now they're saying no no money for you so how many subscribers do you what's the threshold before you can start making a thousand money? now a thousand subscribers a thousand subscribers i suppose in some ways it's an incentive for the little guys sure, to yeah. get to promote their channel and get their mm-hmm. subscribers up there mm-hmm. absolutely yeah for sure I yeah i don't thousand, disagree with the choice i just it, it does hurt a lot of people and i think that they're they need to fix the system like yeah. the, the fact that our videos get demonetized all the time now i would hate to be somebody who was a little more controversial than we are and uh you know the, there are news channels that make their living off of broadcasting the news and the news is controversial but is that included in they get policies? they get demonetized. I know that That's news channels a, they have to show censored video footage and things like sure. that. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I there's, I'm sure there's a difference between what you're allowed to talk about versus what you're allowed to show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but YouTube and Google use um, speech to text, and then they run that through the test the the filters. And oh, this person said this, this, and this, and so now it's flagged, and you cannot monetize that video mm-hmm. based on a robotic algorithm. Yeah. And so that is where it's hurting people because it's not very accurate. Mm, I see. Mm-hmm. Again, we <laughs> welcome your comments below. If you're a YouTube yes, creator, yeah. it would be a good opportunity for you to share as well. Yeah. How has it affected you? Big thanks to Phil Priest, Roy W. Nash, and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV Newsroom. Don't forget to like and and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV Newsroom, I'm Becca Ferguson. Thanks, Becca. This is Category 5 Technology TV. It's been fun having you here this week. Happy Valentine's Day. My wife. (laughs) This is what we do on a Valentine's Day. Actually, okay, truth be told, <laughs> this is all pre-recorded. The truth comes out. <laughs> yeah, we pre-recorded it for you so that everyone could have the night off, including us, so we're probably just wrapping up dinner right about now. Yeah. It was delicious, dear. <laughs> I've enjoyed every every last bite. Um, I hope that you have a fantastic week. It's been fun having you here. It's been mm-hmm. it's Great been years. Be yeah. Yes, literally years. <laughs> I'm trying to think, had you ever have you done a show in Studio D? Not that I recall. Not that I I recall either.
And we've been here since season eight. (laughs) (laughs) It's season 11, and we're coming up on the end. Wow. Well, it's nice to have you back here. Hope that you all have a wonderful week and uh, looking forward to seeing you again next week. Take care.